Okay, welcome back everyone. Welcome back. Um, I just regain my breath. You may not have noticed, I realized I had left my talk at home. I've been home and back. Good job we live close. <laughs> I know, super smooth. I did, I did. Yeah, and I went to Arthur's seat as well and prayed and told my friend about Jesus. Yeah, it's great. What have you been doing? Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, I was like, I hope Kate doesn't turn around and goes, where's Ben gone? Uh, anyway, yeah, good job we live close. Um, but yeah, <laughs> extra preparation really counted. So yeah, I love that story from James. It's like, um, as, as much as anything, when you commit stuff to God, and also there's, without a risk, there's no story. So I love the way you took risks on every step of the way in terms of that as well. Um, so we're going to continue our conversation about work and the workplace, um, what we do with our time, what we do with our days. Um, and it's probably worth saying this. When I first came to Vineyard Church, which was 20-odd uh, years ago, um, we also had a series on work and, and those things. And to be honest, I was like, ah, don't quite get this. Do I have to listen to another chat about work? Um, I'd rather talk about fun things, not work things. But actually, I think I should have realized a bit more that how much God is involved in work and how much he wants to be involved and how much how he created it as well. So I hopefully, uh, in, do in doing this, uh, we can sort of reveal some more things and also build on what we were talking about last week because when I went through some of the things that we talked about last week and I will talk about this week it completely changed my perception of what work's all about what my what is my time and what are my days for but it's also worth realizing that we might not work it all out this morning we need to keep going keep pursuing this keep wondering and pursuing God and working with God to help us with our story and what God's story is for us in our lives so um so what we've done, we've started in the book of Genesis. Genesis is the book of origins, um, the book of beginnings. And we're going to, there's a verse between chapters one, which is, we, we probably are quite familiar with. Chapter one is all the creation. God did this and it was good. And then chapter three, where God talks about it all going wrong, where basically we just decided to make up our own rules, go against God, go against who we're created to be, and things go wrong. But in the middle... In chapter 2, um, God actually um, created work. He created work for us. It's part of our purpose. It's part of what we're there to be. He didn't create, it, he didn't create us and say, look, I'm going to now punish you. You've got to go and work for it. He created us and created work so that we could flourish and so that we could be who we're meant to be. We can learn what it is to be fully human and for what God has created us to be. So in this, it says, the verse says, the Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. You could say that the Lord took humanity and put us in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And in that, we partner with him. So we partner with God. You know, God created work for us so that we can become fully human and he sends us to work. We don't go to work and ask God to come with us. God sends us into the workplace, whether that's whatever work we do, whether that's studying, whether that's parenting, whether that's teaching, or whatever, everyone's included. 
with what we do with our days. But he also, it's not just that. God wants us to dream with him as well. So when God said to Adam, he says, oh, go, into the, go into the garden and work it. He didn't give him a health and safety briefing. He didn't give him a set of rules. There was only one rule, but there was... He didn't give him that. He what he wanted to do is create a dreamer. You know, somebody who can dream about stuff, create stuff, and work out what's going on. So that's the start of our understanding of what work is, and I'm going to continue that as well. But also, just on a a note at the beginning, it's worth saying that you could say I'm creating a really glamorous picture of work. You know, oh, that's all right for you to say type thing but actually I'm deliberately doing it because I know that it's very easy to not be aligned biblically to in our workplace and uh, it's very easy not to do that because the way to not align biblically is we view our workplaces as I go to work as a place of extraction and this is a really worldly view of what work is about it's actually really not just a work thing, we see it in our culture, but I also see it as an Edinburgh thing, that people come to Edinburgh to extract what they can get, and then they go. And um, I was traveling the other week, and um, I was traveling down to London, and uh, <coughs> I was just getting some breakfast, and the guy says to me, he says, oh, where are you going? I'm going down to London. He says, oh, make sure you can get everything you can out of it and bring it back. <laughs> I was like, oh, my word. <laughs> I was like... All oh right, I'm just about to do a talk on that. <laughs> so was, I was like, I was asking God, you know, is this a thing? Is this an extraction thing? His view was you go to places, you bring everything you can out of it. And that can be easily a view that surrounds us in terms of we go to work just to extract. We go to work to extract what we can get out of it. But actually, I believe what we're here today to do is um, we want a thick spirituality. And what I mean by that is we want something of substance in our lives. We don't want a thin spirituality. And where we're after a spirituality, what I mean by a thick spirituality is something that covers all of our lives. We're not just here for this bit, for the celebration bit. We want a thick spirituality that covers every bit of our days and every bit of our life. So a thick spirituality does not have a view of work that's extraction. Because it's really easy, the extraction viewpoint is um, work is all about productivity and then trading pounds for hours. And most people go to work and they try to earn what they can so you can advance your own career or make your CV look good or have a better life for your kids or your own future. And that's really, really individualistic and that's a real consumerist mindset. And actually, it's the opposite to what God says, to opposite to what's in the Bible and what the Bible teaches. Because the Bible teaches that work is all about God's story. So if our view of work um, is that of extraction, and we just extract it, we're not actually going to be revealing the story of the story of God in that place, the story of God for us in that place, the story of God for those around us in that place either. So that's some of the heavy stuff. And it's really important to see, okay, actually, what is my view of work? Am I going with that viewpoint? I think over time, I've certainly had that viewpoint, and I'm really glad 
I've had this to sort of really change me and change my viewpoint over time, but right point. But it, this also affects money as well. So this also affects the way we see money. So what I see is money is all God's anyway, and God calls us to steward his money. But if we're just extracting money from our work, then we're just thinking, oh, that's all for me, for me, for me, for me. And again, that's not aligned with what the Bible says either. So if we think right back to the times when the people of God, the people of Israel, right in the Old Testament, they were first called to give. They give their money, they give their tithes to God. Most of those people were um, agrarian, so they would, they would grow crops for a year. And, the, and, the, and effectively, they had one point in the year when they brought the harvest in, and then that was their income for the rest of the year. They lived off that. Can you imagine that? Imagine if you got paid one day a year. <laughs> It'd be like, oh, I would. And then you had the rest of the year to sort of work it out. But essentially, that's what happens in, in, in agriculture. So they would essentially get all of their crops. And the first thing they would do, and this is great if you read about it in the, in the Old Testament, the first thing they do is take a part of that called a tithe. They would take that and they would go and celebrate together. They would celebrate the harvest that God has given to them. They'd also give that away. So to feed the people who can't feed themselves and also to to build around that time it's the temple so you could feed those. So those spiritually those people were gonna guide and, and those things as well. And that's true for us as well. That's important for us uh to do that. We don't necessarily do it every year every year, but we could do it every month, which is more like the people who the farmers who looked after the sheep and everything. Their their income, their life cycle was more like ours, more of a monthly one, say. But they would do the same. They would give first to what is God's. And then they would say, this is, money is God's. I'm going to give first and then we'll steward the rest and we steward the rest really well. So again, it's our work. We don't want our work to be an extraction mindset and we don't want our faith and our following of Jesus and our view of the church to be an extraction mindset either. So let's really align ourselves biblically and challenge ourselves in terms of what do we do? How do we see our work? How do we see our money and those things? Love to talk about all that stuff. I've got loads and loads of things I can talk about. What is God's story when you start to put money in God's hands, when you start to give, when you start to learn to be generous? What does that look like? Tons and tons of story about that. So I love to talk about that because it's a difficult thing because our culture is not aligned to that. But what God teaches us and what God says gives us life is different. So what we say is our view of work is God has set me in this thing. I'm not here for extraction. I'm here for contribution. I'm not here under my working environment or whatever that environment is waiting for Friday so I can get on with my weekend and basically hit the beach. Chilly at this time of the year, but you might want to hit the beach or the coffee shop or the pub or just go traveling. We not. It's not that. They're good in themselves. They're good things in themselves, but it's not the reason we actually go to work. So you're not here to just extract. You're here, and this is my thing, and this is my thing that brings God's pleasure. So that's what he created us to be. So usually when you start a talk, you want to really uplift people and get people going. So there's the heavy stuff, and but it's actually really, really important for us to do and really take on. So one guy... Um, who's amazing at this uh was a guy called eric little i used to call him eric liddell 
but that's not very Edinburgh, let alone Scottish. It's Eric. Or correct. Or correct. Eric Little. Aye. Uh, so, is that better? Uh, so, thanks to my correction person over there. I'm very pleased with that. So, Eric, Eric Little. Um, do people know who Eric Little is? So, guy, Chariots of Fire. You might have seen the film Chariots of Fire. Um, he was really famous. Uh, also, yeah, you see his name because he's... If you go to what's called Holy Corner, there's the Eric Little Center um, named after him. Um, he won the Olympics 400-meter final in 1924, um, even though he was a 100-meter runner. <laughs> He'd only actually trained for the 100 meters, but he won the 400 meters because the 100 meters final or the heats were on a Sunday, and he he wanted to worship God on a Sunday and not run. So he then entered into the 400 meters instead and won it. I'll show you the video in a minute. Um, he, he also... Um, so he was essentially the Usain Bolt of 1924, and he came from here. And I I find this really cool. He actually trained somewhere around here. He he trained on a Craig Lockhart running track, which I have yet to find. I'm not sure if it exists anymore. But he used to train. He used to run these streets, and um, and he was he was a follower of Jesus, which is great. Um, let me show you the film about him, and then I'll tell you what he says um, about Jesus. This could be tricky, but I'll try and get you the run. This is the 1924 um, Paris Olympics 100 meters fin 400 meters final. And I'll let's see this, if I can get it going. Come on. in the outside lane. So that was that was Eric Little. Um, he this is what he says um, about his, his work was this. So this is what he says about his running. He says and about God. He says I feel His pleasure when I run. I recognize that when I do what I was made to do, everything in heaven rejoices and everything in me ignites. Which I just love that in terms of his understanding of just stepping into what who he is for God. You know, I feel his pleasure when I run. And I and I, I feel 
I feel we can have that in so many circumstances and that's something that we can have as we go about our daily lives. And um, I'd re really recommend that um, this book, um, The Life of Eric Little, um, For the Glory, is it's not written by, I don't believe somebody who, the, guy, the writer is actually somebody who follows Jesus, but he has a really, really great view and understanding of what, who Eric Little was about, because actually he's not just a runner. You then hear his story about how his heart was really for China, the people of China, and telling people about Jesus in China. Amazing book. Did make me cry. So just as there's your warning, it has an emotional content. So, uh, <laughs> so, so we don't go to work for extraction. We are there for God's pleasure, and we find who we are in God, in our workplaces. So, it says the Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. So I've got, I talked about two things at the beginning. We partner with God, we dream with God, but I did, and there's four things I'm going to cover. The third one is that we are cultivators with him. So cultivators mean we don't extract. Uh, we go to cultivate. We begin to make things like industry better. We begin to make healthcare better. We begin to make universities better. We begin to make education better as we work and we cultivate things with God. So, for example, you know, what could it truly look like to bring life to architecture? What would we do? You know, what would better design actually look like? What does working with clients in that environment look like? What does changing the landscape of our community look like? How do we create better homes where families can share meals around a table in a way that emphasizes great things of God like hospitality and generosity and all those things. That's just one little example. So what I want to encourage us to do, and I think what the Bible encourages us to do, is to begin to explore and cultivate because the goal isn't to survive the workplace. The goal of discipleship, the goal of following Jesus, is not survival. It's never survival. The goal is as we follow Jesus, as we do that thing called discipleship, we shape the environments around us. So our goal is not to survive the workplace, but to shape it. And we don't shape it so we can dominate it either, but we cultivate it and we can bring restoration to those places as well. And we can bring life to those places as well. So it's really what I'm also what I'm not saying is that what we really want is followers of Jesus to get to the top of industry all the time. That's not actually what we're saying. That's pretty pretty dumb thing to be th saying, really. You know, it's great if people are, but that's not what we're, what we're trying to see. Because actually, most of the world changes not from the top down. It doesn't come from rules. It actually comes from the inside out. When we read about Jesus, when we read about the kingdom, the kingdom changes things from the inside out. It doesn't come from people above us changing rules. It comes from hearts and hearts that change. And then and that change of the heart and people's following comes from the inside out. So if we want our workplaces to change, then all we need to do is bring what's in us into that environment as well. So Kate, um, Kate talked a few weeks ago um, at Judah's dedication. She talked um, about Joseph, um, you know, the technical dude. And uh, so we, we see from him uh, a great example of this wherever he was. So he was at home, um, he was in the pit, he was in prison, he was in Pharaoh's palace. 
It didn't really matter where he was. He began to shape it and change it uh, because of his love of God. And we can and we can do that too. We can be like Joseph. We can make a huge difference if we basically live as the church every day in our ordinary lives. We take what we have here. We take what we the things that God gives us wherever we are, wherever we are, and we live it out. And that's how we begin to change culture, how we begin to bring life to places, how we begin to shape environments for the way that they're meant to be. So again, it says the Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. So I've covered three things already from one verse. And uh, we've had a bit of it this morning. It's about storytelling. So what I see when in God is in his creation for us is to be partners with him, to be dreamers with him, to be cultivators with him, but also to be storytellers. So our workplaces and our places of where we are during the week is where we tell the story of God. So we sort of see this first um, in a person called Bezalel, um, that well-known, never ever dedicated somebody Bezalel, but you know, could always uh, could be a chance in the next few years. Not a well-known name, but um, Bezalel is appears in Exodus, Exodus thirty-one. So. Um, I've got it. I've got this on the screen. So, um, Exodus thirty-one verses one to six. Um, it says this because basically the important thing is, and the point I want to make is, this is the first person that we read about in the Bible who's actually filled with the Holy Spirit. And where are they filled with the Holy Spirit? They're filled with the Holy Spirit in their workplace. So let me just read that. Then the Lord said to Moses. See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills, to make artistic designs for working gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kind of crafts. Moreover, I have appointed Oheliab, son of, son of Ashimach, the tribe of Dan, to help him. Also, I've given him the ability to do all the skilled works and make everything I have commanded to you as well. Isn't that pretty amazing? So the first mention of being filled with the Holy Spirit in the Bible is somebody in their everyday, ordinary work. So he works, a pretty talented guy now, and then he's overloaded with talent because God gives you even more skills, but um, you know, in jewelry, in craftsmanship, in stonework as well. So he gets filled with the Holy Spirit and God anoints that. And don't you think it's uh, quite intriguing that nobody really, or we generally don't, or maybe we should increase doing this, is that we realize we're filled with the Holy Spirit in our workplaces because we can seem to sometimes only associate being filled with the Holy Spirit maybe on a Sunday or a small group or if we go to a conference or something like that. But actually when we first read about it here, it's filling somebody in their workplace. So shouldn't we be expecting the Holy Spirit to be showing up there? Shouldn't our workplace be a thin place? I talked about thick spirituality, but a thin place is where you really you feel it's a real thin place. You can contact, be in contact with God really easily. So we should expect that. 
So a workplace is not a place of God's absence, uh, but a place of his presence. So if the first place of mention of the Holy Spirit is filling somebody in their work, isn't that a clue where the Holy Spirit fills people? And it fills them and it fills us as we do our jobs. So, I mean, it could be quite surprising, wouldn't it, if the Holy Spirit just landed on somebody quite dramatically, say, in a board meeting. Imagine that. They start, like, shaking around and go, something like that. Tongues of fire. That would be an interesting board meeting, wouldn't it? <laughs> Imagine that. That would be really funny. Um, but but actually, but sometimes it is funny how we think, and, we, and that is a filling of the Spirit. That is a, that's what God does sometimes. But, but actually, it's funny how we think that is only with the Holy Spirit. It's about the shaking and rolling and the flapping and the round and the, the funny noises and the, and the things. But that's like um, the Quakers. The Quakers were known for that. The Quakers are a group of people who follow Jesus. And they were called the Quakers or the Holy Rollers. Ho- I didn't quite say that right. Holy Rollers. Sounds wrong. But anyway, but anyway, roll around on the floor. They literally used to roll around on the floor because that's how God and the Holy Spirit impacted them. And um, they used to shake as well. And they were called the Quakers because of that. It's slightly, it was almost a nickname and a slang and to put them off. They were called that because of the way that the Holy Spirit impacted them. And that's why they're called the Quakers and they're still around today. And sometimes we can always be looking for that. And and it is a sign of God touching people's lives and a sign of the Holy Spirit. But actually, maybe we ought to realize that if we look at Bezalel as well, that God comes in ways and blesses our work and our workplace. And it might look slightly different. Because say if um, if somebody was a pilot um, and they came to one of our Sunday morning meetings and... Um, she came forward and uh, wanted to be prayed for. And, you know, as what often happens when we connect with the maker of God and heaven, as we pray for people, the Holy Spirit comes, stuff happens, you know, eyelids may flutter, we may shake around a bit. You know, you have, because you're sort of connecting with God and God knows all of us and knows us intimately, those things happen. So imagine this pilot was, you know, all a bit jiggery with the Holy Spirit and those things on a Sunday. And um, and then you went to a flight to London the next day and she was the pilot and she was still sort of all over the place with the Holy Spirit. You would probably think twice about getting on to that plane and you might suggest to somebody to breathalyze them or something like that. But you can't tell me that um, that actually the blessing of the Holy Spirit only happens when we're in these sorts of environments. Because actually that's not in tune with what the Bible says as well. Because the Holy Spirit would come in all of those areas as well. So surely the Holy Spirit is created. Who created us and works with and God works and fills us in the workplace. Just as much as here as he does there as well. And he longs to rest and longs to bless us with his presence and his Holy Spirit in those places. And and I think as we start to realize that, what happens is we long for our, and God longs for our work to tell a story and to start to tell a story, whether it's you know entrepreneurial thinking, whether it's engineering, whether it's accounting, whether it's policy making, whether it's strategy, whether it's teaching, whether it's parenting. Whatever it is, is where we discover God's story and then we start to partner with that as well. 
So I'm going to close and bring it to a close or bring it to land with this bit. Um, is that years ago, um, the followers of Jesus who really understood and really got all of this stuff, who really got all of this stuff around um, partnering with work, dreaming with God, cultivators with God, and the storytellers of God were uh, were actually the Quakers. So the Quaker people, the uh, people who followed Jesus called the Quakers, they were amazing at business. And And if you know or if you come across much of the vineyard history, a lot of the vineyard history is steeped in the Quakers as well. And the Quakers um, gave three things to the vineyard. The Quakers had three real key things, and um, two of them the vineyard really claimed. And I think it's probably time, and it's beginning to be the time when we actually claim the third as well. The first thing we claimed from the Quakers and learned from the Quakers was intimate worship. So you see that this morning where it's about God, it's to God, it's for God. And we learn to come into the presence of God as we worship. That comes and is rooted in our Quaker heritage. And the power of the Holy Spirit is the second one as well. You know, the Quakers were known for the Holy Spirit landing on them and impacting their lives. And uh, we see that in the vineyard and that's part of our heritage and a core for what the vineyard movement is. But the third thing the Quakers did, which the vineyard has not yet picked up, which I think we should, is entrepreneurial thinking and entrepreneurial entrepreneurial thinking in the workplace. So the Quakers were incredible entrepreneurs. And uh, one man was called George. He was a Quaker. And does anyone know what George made? Chocolate. Yeah, you may have sampled some of his great works this morning. This is what happens when we join up with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> In moderation, obviously. Not all the time. But um, he had the best job. He's, um, he made chocolate. So... Uh, you may not have seen this guy. Here we go. George Cadbury, the man himself. So he was so excellent in business and brilliant in business that his his business began to grow. Um, he needs to expand. He needed a bigger workforce. Um, he also needed bigger factories. So he went to Birmingham to do that. He built bigger factories, but this was his view because his work was partnering with God and he was looking around and inspired by the Holy Spirit as well. So he was looking around at his factories and the people who worked for him as well, which was not usually done at those times. And he realized a number of things that were happening. One was that the housing conditions were poor, so people were getting ill. Um, he also realized that one of the biggest problems at that time was people drinking and if you're really close to the pubs and everything, that's where people would spend their money. And it would cause a lot of problems in the households again. So what he did was absolutely stunning. And something at that time, which was the first time it was ever done, and something which has inspired and still inspires town planning and how we build cities and towns in now. What he did, he went, he created a village outside of Birmingham and uh, you can go and visit that place it's called Bourneville um, it's called Bourneville because it's meant to sound slightly French because the biggest competition in chocolate at that time was th was the French so uh, I love that little thing <laughs> so he he created this village and what he did first and what he did was he built homes um, not at the market rate 
So he was he was thinking far, far beyond what was happening at the time. So the market rate for a house, wouldn't you love this, was £700 to buy <laughs> buy a house and um, and do that. And uh, But what he did, um, which you would see very few people in business do, he spent £1,050 on each home. So he spent 50% more than the people were at the time to build houses for people. And what he did, he created a space for them. He created a space which had a front and a back garden. He created space in the house so a family could be a family and live together in those places. And then what happened is people saw these houses as really good investments. So people used to start buying them and then selling them for a great deal of profit. So what he then did was not moan about that and say, look, I'm trying to do a good thing. Why are, you not why are you not getting on board? He just carried on, but carried on in a different way because he then built houses just for his workers. He built houses which people could rent and live and they were really good quality. And um, so people could live in those conditions and the his workers for his factories were able to live and work in a really, really good way. Most people know Bourneville as the place where there's no pubs. The reason there's no pubs is because George Cadbury knew that if everyone was drinking, it starts to um, impact the families negatively because he'd seen it in Birmingham. He thought of everything. And then we think that today there's a, the big thing around housing is affordable housing. People think it's a new idea. <laughs> yeah, look what God inspired a few, many, quite a few years earlier. So encourage you if you're ever down there to um to go and see go and see it and see what's going on or search it up so it became you know even if you go now it's a really desirable place to live because he thought differently he thought with a kingdom perspective he thought with a vision for the future so these places are now equally desirable places to live even now and this is what god inspired through one individual and it's a heavenly solution to an earthly problem. And that's what it looks like when God is at work and God is at work with us. Another example of this is um, Barclays Bank, actually. So not sure if you know this, but Barclays Bank was formed also by a Quaker at the time. Uh, in fact, um, there's very little you can trace throughout the UK in terms of education systems, businesses and all those things which weren't formed by people who followed Jesus followed by people who believed in Jesus under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We may not detect all of that in some of these businesses today, but when they were formed, that's what was happening. So my suggestion uh, to us today um, is a pretty big one. Is in that is that I believe those days are returning. So we need to understand that and we need to claim that where we can be inspired by the Holy Spirit to bring change to environments and places and the working environment as well. Because God is working with his people as they do their job. And we begin to wake up to the reality and actuality that this can actually bring life to Edinburgh. It can bring life to the Lothians. It can bring life to Scotland, to wherever we are. And it can bring life as we do our jobs really well. God's call is for us to do our jobs well. And as we learn to partner with God, as we learn to dream with him, as we cultivate the environment around us and all do it for his glory. And Paul, who was a follower of Jesus, he wrote about this. He says, whatever we do, whether in word or deed, we do it for the glory of God. So I just want to encourage us to do that.
more and more and really get stuck into that. So we also believe that the next movement of God is not a grave movement in the church. It's a movement of the church. It's a movement of the church into every sphere of society, every corner of culture. And it's about restoration. And as things are, s- are restored around us and, and we start to move and see what God does and we work with him, um, a problem can occur which I would love us to have. Because often what happens is as people become more alive to who they are through God, there's a lot of people who come out of joblessness and need work. So as more people come to know Jesus and lives are restore, restored, more people are going to need jobs. And then, and that's where I love us to be part of solving that problem in the future as well. But we also know that from what we've been looking at over the last few weeks is that jobs is where God meets us and God meets us again and again and again. So I want us to sort of finish really in, in terms of this. So it says the Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. So maybe we need to rewrite this for us, which sounds like this. So the Lord God took us and put us in Edinburgh to work it and to take care of it. So let's step into what God's story is for our work as partners, as dreamers, as cultivators, and storytellers. And we just do it all for the glory of God and just see what story God wants to write around us. Should we stand?